Chapter 14 Jack had guessed that something was amiss at the knoll when Uncle Parker had not turned up later in the day to make his offer to Rosie of a birthday picnic. He had also guessed it was something to do with Daisy. Once or twice during the evening he had slipped out and stood at the bottom of the garden scanning the skyline for signs of smoke. He was not, however, sufficiently curious to set his alarm for 6 a.m. and go for yet another early morning jog. He decided to get quietly on with his own prongs and await developments. <clears throat> the following day got off to a fairly brisk start with Mr. Bagthorpe summoning everyone to breakfast. He did this by walking about the house, banging on doors and shouting, Up! Up, everyone! I want you all in the kitchen in five minutes flat! Everyone was there. Grandma need not have been, because there was no reason why she should obey her son's orders, especially when they were given in so noisy and rude a way. It was curiosity that brought her down. Now, said Mr. Bagthorpe, when they were all assembled, who's got the fewest strings to their bows? He has, said Tess, Rosie, and William instantly, pointing to Jack. Not counting him, said Mr. Bagthorpe. Leave him out of it. William ticked off on his fingers, watching Atlanta out of the corner of his eye. Electronics, tennis, pure mathematics, drums, and you might say darts, five. Tess, French, oboe, piano, judo, and Danish coming up, five. You can't count Danish, William objected. If you do, I'm going to as well. Be quiet, Mr. Bagthorpe told him. Rosie, violin, maths, portraits, and I think I'm going to have swimming as well. I wonder if you'd be any good at it, murmured Mr. Bagthorpe one thoughtfully. I wonder. Let's have a look at your hands. Rosie, mystified, spread out her hands, and everyone took a good look at them and wondered what they were supposed to be, be looking for. They might be big enough, decided Mr. Bagthorpe. We'll give it a try. Report to me in my study at nine. What for? Mr. Bagthorpe now started on his breakfast, the business side of things having been dealt with. He took a slice of toast and pushed it toward Tess. Butter this, please, he said, and plenty of marmalade. Yes, well, today, yesterday, alone in my study, after my trauma in the meadow, I had time for thought. "'Every cloud has a silver lining, you see, dear,' said his wife. "'Normally you never have time for thought.' He shot her a hard look and continued. "'I have decided to persevere with the use of that infernal recording machine, "'despite all attempts at sabotage.' <clears throat> "'They weren't sabotage,' Jack said. "'They were accidents.' "'I owe it to my public,' Mr. Bagthorpe said. "'I owe it to the BBC.' "'Thou shalt not hide your torch under a bush, and all that.' Mr. Bagthorpe never normally quoted from the Bible, even inaccurately, and Mrs. Bagthorpe looked at him as though she wondered if he could slowly be going the same way as Jack. "'When I have spoken my thoughts into the machine,' he said, "'they will have to be typed. I cannot type.' He waved the arm, which was not such a pure white now. It was showing signs of wear and tear. I need someone to type for me. Rosie can have a go. <coughs> oh, must I? Rosie wailed. I don't think I'll be able to. I think my hands are too little. We'll see, he said. 
"'And you'll shout at me if I make mistakes,' she said. "'You know you will.' Mr. Bagthorpe did not reply to this. He clearly did not feel he could give any assurances about not shouting. "'If we're all going to be devoured at any moment by a great brown bear,' said William, "'I don't see the point in your bothering with any more scripts.' "'Oh, don't! Don't talk about it!' pleaded Rosie. Jack kept his eyes on his plate. "'Calm yourself,' Grandma told Rosie. "'Jack thinks he saw a great brown bear, "'but I am convinced that what he really saw "'was a vision of Thomas.' <laughs> "'For crying out loud, Mother,' said Mr. Bagthorpe, "'don't start on about that again. "'And even if you're right, I see no comfort in it. "'Personally, given the choice between a great brown bear "'and that malevolent ginger brute, "'I'd settle for the bear any day.' "'I don't think you realize how hurt I am when you say things like that,' Grandma told him. "'I'm sorry, Mother,' he said. "'But it's the way I feel. "'If you're a creative writer, the one thing you must have is honesty. "'I've got to be honest, even when it hurts.' "'When Uncle Parker did turn up about an hour later, "'Rosie was closeted with her father in the study. "'There were a lot of uneven typing noises going on, and also the first signs that Mr. Bagthorpe was going to begin shouting. <clears throat> Uncle Parker told Mrs. Bagthorpe of his plan for the following Wednesday, and she was delighted by it. "'How very kind, Russell,' she said. "'Rosie is in the study helping Henry. Go along there, and you can tell her yourself.' Jack went and sat just inside the sitting-room opposite the study, and pretended to read a magazine. He knew that usually Mr. Bagthorpe would not let Uncle Parker into his study. He said he would upset the vibrations in there. He was very funny about whom he would or would not let go in there, and had once even stopped the vicar from doing so. He's a church guy. <laughs> he said that vibrations build up in a room, and if you are a sensitive cre creative writer, you have to have the right ones. He must have really believed this, because he would not let Mrs. Fosdyke clean up in there, and actually vacuumed it himself about once a fortnight. Her vibrations, he declared, would play havoc with a saint's. If she went in there, it'd take six months for the room to settle down again. <clears throat> when Uncle Parker tapped on the door and entered, therefore, Jack knew there would be a reaction. Morning, Henry. Get back! Get back! Mr. Bagthorpe had, sure enough, leaped forward and was barring the way with his arms outspread. "'Sorry, old chap, I forgot. All that vibration stuff. You must—you might be right, of course. All this business of Jack and his visions and so forth.' "'Don't talk to me about Jack or his visions,' said Mr. Bagthorpe coldly. "'All right. I came to have a word with Rosie here, actually.' "'Did you really?' Rosie, seeing her chance of escape— "'jumped up from the desk. "'What about?' "'He told her. "'Rosie was ecstatic. "'Oh, it'll be lovely,' she told him. "'Thank you.' "'And there will be crackers,' he assured her, "'less than altruistically. Two each, to make up for last time. "'At least there's less... It, uh, "'At least there's less likely to be a fire at this party,' "'observed Mr. Bagthorpe. "'though I wouldn't put any money on it.' "'Reactions to the suggestion varied. "'William said there were lots of ants in the meadow, "'and that the grass was seeding and would probably give him hay fever, "'and he would rather have the party in the house. 
We have no dining room, dear, Mrs. Bagthorpe reminded him. <laughs> Grandma said it was a pity Rosie's birthday came so soon after her own, because she did not feel she had completely recovered from that yet. <laughs> she said she would come to the party if it was fine, and if not, would watch it from an upper window through Grandpa's field glasses. <laughs> Binoculars. I shall be able to capture the spirit of it, she said, and I probably shan't be missed. Mrs. Fosdyke put in an unsuccessful protest. I know I'm not clever like you, she told the family, but I don't see the point in carting food to be eaten in the middle of a field at the bottom of your garden. People that has picnics usually goes in cars. There is a reason why it should be this particular field, Mrs. Fosdyke, Uncle Parker assured her. All will become clear on the 11th. Why not the summer house? she asked. Not big enough, said Jack quickly. Oh, well. She shrugged and gave up. One thing, it'll be paper cups and plates. There's none of my china going down that field, thank you very much. Jack managed a few minutes alone with Uncle Parker on the pretext of showing him how Zero could fetch sticks, a feat he had not yet witnessed. Take my advice and stay clear, was Mr. Bagthorpe's parting word before going back to his study. There's nothing that hound wouldn't stoop to, 